All right. Good morning, everyone. It's uh, it's really lovely to be able to share with you again for a few moments this morning. And we're in the book of 1 Peter. That's where we're journeying through. And uh, we've reached sort of the middle of 1 Peter chapter 2. And we are um, approaching this subject that Peter talks about for, for a chunk in the, in the middle of this letter. Um, a, a subject that's perhaps not always the easiest subject for us to consider. Uh, and it's the subject of submission. And that's what we're going to explore for a few minutes this morning. We're going to lean into it a little bit and, uh, and ponder, reflect upon it, chew it a little bit. Uh, and so when we're, because we're heading in that sort of direction where we're, we're going to do a little bit of work together, I want to start off with something quite light and, and, and just you know, a little bit, dare I even say fun, I don't know. Possibly. We'll, you, we'll see. Um, I wonder, have you, uh, have you ever heard of the, the song, I'm a Little Yellow Bird? Well, that, that's an overwhelming response. <laughs> I take that as a, as a no. A, a, I'm a Little Yellow Bird is a very silly song. Very, very silly. And just before we, we get concerned, I'm not going to sing it. Um, and and we, used to, we used to sing it at Cape Murray, actually, and we'd sing it with the, with the students. Bear in mind, it's a kind of very multinational student body, or with the guests as they were uh, on a holiday. Again, often lots of different nationalities. Uh, and, and we'd come together and we'd sing this song. I'll just, I'll just sing it to you. There are actions to it. I'll do the actions. Very silly, very simple. But it just says, I'm a little yellow bird, and, and, and you, you kind of flap your wings. I'm a little yellow bird, and I'm so sad in my stomach. This is your stomach. Because those I live with, as you make a little house, they are so stingy. They feed me herrings every day. This is a herring, obviously, which I really don't like. It would be better, it would be better to have a Coke and an ice. Okay, so that, that's a silly song. It's kind of pointless. You then move the song around different nations in the world. And, and, and each nation sort of has their own way of singing it or, or doing, the, uh, doing the actions. So the, the words remain the same, but the, the actions change. So potentially they might sing this song in Scotland. So a little stereotype warning. <laughs> Maybe in, in, uh, in Scotland you might be known for being uh, careful. With, uh, with money, making Yorkshiremen like me look positively generous. And so you do the same song, the same actions, but, with, but very small. So you go, I'm, I'm a little yellow bird. I feel so sad in my stomach because those I live with are so stingy. They feed me herrings every day, which I really don't like. It would be better. It would be better to have a Coke and an ice. Then you would move on from Scotland and you move to, say, Germany. Hi, Naomi. <laughs> and, uh, and in Germany, obviously known for efficiency, doing things well, kind of operating in straight lines. And so the same song comes again, but in a very sort of, you know, straight line format. So I'm a little yellow bird. I feel so sad in my stomach. For those I live with are so stingy. They feed me herrings every day. I've just caught Tom's eye. Which I really don't like. It would be better. It would be better to have a Coke and an ice. And then you move it on around the world. We're, not, we're, we're going to move on past this now. 
you go to, to North America and you do all the actions really huge because everything's bigger and better and, and the homes are bigger, the roads are bigger, the cars are bigger, the burgers are bigger. You do everything big. Maybe you would move on to other places and if you wanted to poke fun at them, you would, you would do the, the song but the actions would be one step behind. You know, I'm saying, oh, they're a little bit behind where we are. All of this is very silly, isn't it? And I'm very aware that stereotypes are not always true. It's just a bit of fun. But here's what it is. That's what those nationalities sort of are known for. It's how their identity is expressed or how we perceive it to be expressed. It's how their identity is perceived to be expressed. And what we're looking at in, in, in 1 Peter today is we're reached up to this point where Peter's been telling us about who we are what our identity is. Now we're getting into the point where how is that identity going to be expressed? If this is who you are as a Christian, what does life look like? How, 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 do, you, how do you live that out? So as a little reminder of, of where we've come up to, we've been in 1 Peter for a while now. What we've seen is that if we've been born again, if we've, if we've given our lives to God, then we become his that we belong to him, we, we become sons and daughters of the living God. We're adopted into his family. We become heirs and co-heirs with Christ. That means we have a, a living hope that, that God hasn't just come and visited us in Jesus. He's not only died for us, but he's risen again and he comes to live within us. We have a living hope. That we have an inheritance that is kept for us in heaven. That we're shielded by God's power through faith. That we go through difficult things in life. Very difficult things. But God is active in those trials. Refining us like fire. That we are to be holy, set apart, distinct. That we're not who we were but, but now our citizenship is in heaven. And because of that, our lives are going to look different. We're going to love each other deeply and from the heart. We're going to live our lives here as foreigners here in reverent fear, uh, chapter 1 says. We're going to live here our lives here as exiles. We're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. This is who we are. This is, what the, this is the truth of our identity. So how are we going to live that out? What's that going to look like as we live? And, and, and I think that the picture is, is something that we, we kind of see in, in, in Genesis. When God calls Abraham, all those, those years ago, God calls Abraham from his home in Ur of the Chaldeans and he moves to the place that will be given to his family as their inheritance, given uh, to the Israelites as the promised land, as he moves, we read this little phrase in Genesis, and Peter doesn't reference it, but I think it encapsulates what he's saying. He says he pitched his tent and he built an altar. He pitched his tent. That's where he's going to live. And when you pitch a tent, it takes a bit of work and you establish it, you, you, you get it down. There's a relationship with where you're staying, but it's not your permanent home. That's what our lives are to be as exiles. We're, we're to have a relationship with where we're staying. It, it takes work. We, we establish ourselves, but this isn't where we belong. This isn't where we're going to be forever. This isn't where we're investing everything. We pitch a tent, but we build an altar. What is significant? What lasts? 
is, is, is flowing out of that worship of the living God. And, and that's where, where we're up to. So if we're, if we're pitching our tent in this place at this time, if this is where we are now, what does our relationship to where we are now look like? If we're not, if we're not here permanently, what are we to do? To take advantage of the world around us, just get what we can while we can, because this isn't, isn't home. Are we to withdraw from the world and just kind of see out this life? Are we to take on the world? Let's take it on. Let's change it. This is what Peter writes. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 25. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. For by his wounds you have been healed. For we all like sheep have gone astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So what I want to do for the next few moments is then try and unpack that a little bit. And, and there's so much in these verses, but we're just going to look at that one big idea, that idea of, of submission. What is it then to submit? Let's see where we're getting it from, from the text before we dive in. Verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. The, the, the word in Greek is every human creature, but, but the, the context goes on to talk about particularly those in authority. Verse 17, show proper respect to everybody, love the family of believers, fear God and honor the emperor. Verse 18, slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your master. The main idea here is as children as the living God, those with an eternal inheritance, those with such privilege, were to live out our lives on earth in submission. So what, it, what, what is it to submit? What is submission? Here's what we're going to work with for the next few moments. Submission is where we voluntarily submit to another, where we place ourselves beneath them 
that we might lift them up. That we might place ourselves beneath them, we might lift them up. I wonder, I wonder what you're feeling as we think about it this morning. It's, it's not, these, are, these are not easy things for us to think about. We live in a culture and in a time where we're very aware of our rights. We know what our rights are. We're probably not just as clear on our responsibilities, but we know our rights. We're actively encouraged to, to, to put ourselves and our happiness first. We're actively encouraged to do whatever it takes, to, if it brings us money or fame or influence or power. And if we don't do those things, we're, we're, we're lacking in ambition. We're somehow short of confidence if we don't promote ourselves. And it's an uncomfortable thing to think about submission. Here's a couple of things we might be thinking, perhaps, as we just consider it. We might think, then why do we need to submit to anybody else? If I am truly a son of God, if I've been adopted into his family, if he is Lord of lords and King of kings, if he made this world, sustains this world, and will wrap this world up, and I belong to him, then why would I need to, to, to submit myself to anybody else? Why? Why? I've got the, the main thing, the main thing. As a, just as a silly example, think of the, the, the centre that we built just next door. And, uh, and we could think, we, we want to do this for the Lord. This is his world. We're his people. It's for his glory to reach other people. We, we want to do it. It's all for him. So why do we need to ask for planning permission? It's his world. For his people. Why have we got to go through all these endless hoops to put up a building? Because we're exiles here, and the Lord says, submit yourself to human authorities. But another objection we might have, and it might be quite uncomfortable for us as we read, is what is all this about slaves? What is going on with this passage about slaves? Submit to your masters. What we might expect to read is slaves, break free, get out. Uh, you know, overturn this horrific practice. And yet we don't read that. We read these rather challenging words, stay and submit. As we read the, as we read the Bible, it, it's good to, to, to first recognize what's going on in that original context. What, 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 what's, how does this sound to the original hearers? And Peter's writing here to, in, in first century Rome, to the, in the Roman Empire. And it's very hard, I suspect, for us with our first 21st century minds and eyes and ears to look back at a first century world and analyze it. And what I'm, I'm certainly not saying that slavery is okay. Slavery is horrific. It's certainly not okay. But, it, but in that Roman world, there was a lot, there was a lot of slaves. We, we, we wonder if perhaps one in four people one in four people, it depends what you, who you read, but it, that's, that's a fairly middle-of-the-road estimate from what I've read. We're involved in that. And, and slaves weren't just people who were doing the horrific jobs, although they were. And they were people who had no rights in the Roman, Roman Empire. But they were also people who were very involved in society. Slaves were teachers and tutors 
and estate managers and physicians. Wealthy families would, would might even have a slave, an older man, who would, who would be in charge of raising the children, as in disciplining, teaching, training the, the, young, the children for, for, uh, for adulthood. I'm not saying this practice is okay. Here, here's what I'm saying. That, that as Christianity grew, that the practice of slavery decreased. But what Peter's saying here is, as a, a slave becomes a Christian, and it would seem that lots of Roman slaves did become Christians, uh, and that the churches were, 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 um, had lots of these folks in them. What Peter is saying is, as a, as, a, as a Roman slave becomes a Christian, their most urgent aim is not to gain their freedom, though they should take it when they, if at all possible. The most urgent aim is to live such a life that those around them will see Jesus. This isn't easy stuff. You see, Roman slaves, they had no rights, but they did have influence. Let me say that one more time. A Roman slave didn't have rights. That's not okay. But they did have influence. And Peter says, this is what you've got. Don't worry about what you don't have just yet. This is what you have. You have influence. Use the influence you have. Your most urgent, urgent aim is to win those around you for Christ by your behavior, by doing good. I know this is not, I know this is not easy, and, and maybe we'll think and reflect on it through the week. Objection number three that we might have. But what about, if we're to submit to, to human authorities, but what about when human authorities ask us to do something that, that we shouldn't be doing? What about those exceptions where there's some, some very, very unpleasant human authorities? How can we submit ourselves to those who are asking us maybe to go against something that God himself has said? And that's a, and that's a good question. <clears throat> I think the first thing to recognize is while we look at the exceptions to the rule, and that's important, let's not miss the rule. The big idea here is that we do seek to submit. We do seek to, to where we can, put ourselves beneath others that we might raise them up. But maybe there are those times where that is inappropriate. Maybe it, what we're asked to do goes, beyond, uh, goes against our conscience or common sense or a command of God. Just a couple of examples to see what that might look like lived out. Think of, of Daniel. And his friends in Babylon. Daniel was very much in exile. He, 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 he was the very definition of an exile. He lived in Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar and his army come in, destroy the place, kill lots of his fellow countrymen, take them away to Babylon. And then when they get to Babylon, they think, you know what, there's some of these guys, they're not so bad. They, 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 they've got something about them. They might be helpful for us as we run our own empire. Imagine being in Daniel's position. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I'll help you run this empire that, 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 has, that has just demolished my homeland. And he's in this situation, and, he, and, and so he enters training with his friends, and, and they're given provision of food. And, and how does Daniel respond? Well, he responds with saying, I, I can't eat the meat. It might have been uh, offered to idols. 
My conscience won't allow me. I need to honor God first. But he doesn't go out to make trouble either. Remarkably, he doesn't make a big fuss, but he talks to his commander and says, what if we just add vegetables? And the commander says, well, that could get me in big trouble. If you don't look as healthy as everyone else, that's my life on the line. He said, well, then let's just try it for 10 days. And if it's not working, we can, we can change it. There's that sense that Daniel is, is very much living in exile. God is absolutely his priority. But, he, but, he, but where he can, he's actually respecting the authorities over him, even though the authorities over him are not particularly respectable. Think of, of Peter and John in the book of Acts. We've been through this series. They, um, God is doing amazing things through them. They go to the temple to pray and heal a lame man on the way. It's just a morning for songs. And, uh, and people are just really taken by this. People are becoming Christians. They're brought before the Sanhedrin. And the, the, the highest court in the land, the highest Jewish court, who say, you cannot preach in the name of Jesus. And they say, we, we can't obey that. We are going to preach in the name of Jesus. They're, they're, they're dismissed. Um, they're in the temple courts. People are so for them that the next time they're going to be arrested, the guards come. The, the people are willing to stone the guards. They're willing to kill them. This is their chance. This is their chance. Now let's cause a really big fuss. Let's cause a riot. Let's get the name of Jesus out there in such a big way. Let's overthrow the system. But what do they do? They've got that chance. They willingly go with the guards to face the Sanhedrin, knowing that the best possible outcome is that they get beaten. That's the best outcome. There's other outcomes as well that could happen. And they, and they, and they don't. They respect, they honor God, first and foremost, but almost almost to a degree that's hard to comprehend, they submit to the authorities around them. So why, we're, we're, we're wrapping up, folks, so don't worry. We're, why, why then should, should we submit? And, and then we'll briefly think what that might look like. Why, why then should we submit? Well, there's, there's, there's two reasons, I think, perhaps in the text that we saw. And P- Peter pulls out the big guns here. Let me read a couple of verses. Verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Verse 15, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. That's in the context of of placing ourselves between uh, under human authority, doing, concentrating on what we can do, doing good, that that might silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. They, for the early church, this is the, this is the world that they're living in. They're viewed with a lot of suspicion as some sort of dangerous cult. So there's all these sort of rumors going around that we read from Roman historians that, that Christians, when they get together, it, it, there's, there's cannibalism, kind of real strange twists on what communion is about. And so that, that gets twisted, and that's the rumor that's going around about Christians. And, the, and they're, they're blamed for all sorts of things. And, and Peter's saying, just what, what can you do? Do good to, 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 to silence that, that foolish talk. Verse 18, slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. Verse 21, to this you were called. That pattern of sometimes even suffering 
for doing good and, and, and being submissive because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow. Why should we? This is, this is God's will. To this you are called, for the Lord's sake. I wonder how many times we've, we've, we've pondered, we've thought about, I wonder what God's will for my life is. Maybe you've, you've talked to people as they're wondering, maybe at that point in life where they're really wondering, what's God's will for my life? Is it you know, to start a non-profit organization, to start a, a fairly large group of churches, to travel the world with a microphone? Possibly. Possibly those things are what God calls you to do. But this is what we know God's called us to do. To this we were called because Christ suffered leaving us as an example that we should follow in his footsteps. This is, this is what we're to do. This is God's will, for this is God's will. I wonder what God's will for my life is. I wonder if it involves this job or that job. But yeah, possibly. I'll tell you what God's will is for our lives, that by doing good, we silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. That rather than worrying about all the things about changing all the world over there, that we get on with what we can do. That we, that we, that we realize what we have and we take advantage and we do the good we can to serve and point to Jesus. And then secondly, why, why is this such a thing? Peter concludes this passage that we're looking at with these verses To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. For by his wounds we have been healed. Did Jesus know who he was? He knew, who, he knew his identity. He's God the Son, the promised rescuer, the one who would save mankind. The one who would come to this world to, to rescue us eternally. He knew who he was, but he didn't overthrow the government. He didn't use his rights to cause trouble. And he placed himself remarkably under the authority of Pontius Pilate. He was such a weak leader that he knew he was innocent, but he still condemned him to death. Jesus could have said, well, I'm not submitting to this guy, to this fool. He doesn't, he doesn't know how to lead. I, I, I should give him no respect. He knows I'm innocent and he's going through with it. But, but that is radical submission. That is radical. And that's how Jesus saves. We submit to others because it's God's will and because it's Jesus' way. I know, that, I know this isn't easy. <laughs> as, we, as we close, let's, let's close. Two things that we might think about as we think, so where does this land with us today? Where does this land for us First thing I think is we need to be very confident in our identity in Christ. We're not going to be able to do any of that stuff if we're not confident in who we are 
in Christ. And, and I think the way that we cultivate that confidence is that we're found in God's word. Uh, we, we, we read the Bible, and, and, and I'm not just saying that because that seems to be the right answer, but we, we read the Bible because we read it to remind ourselves who God is and who we are and who we are in God. We, 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 we're regularly in, in, in the word. We're regularly, as we can, praying, not because it's a box to tick, but that we recognize our dependence upon him, but also all that we have in him as we thank and praise him for it. And then we remind each other. Let's be really great at reminding each other of who we are in Christ. That as we meet formally or informally, that that we're just really recognizing all that we have in him, the fullness of his grace, the, the totalness of his forgiveness, the wonder of his love, the beauty of, of, of his sanctification. We, 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 we seek to grow in confidence in our identity in Christ. And then secondly, let's seek to live out this heavenly calling. We might not have any rights, but what influence do we have? Where's our, where's our influence? And where we can, where we can, let's seek to voluntarily place ourselves beneath others and lift them up. Lift them up. And it frees us from the, 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 the weight of trying to save the world ourselves. We concentrate on, on doing good, on, on submitting to Christ and others, and allow Christ to save the world through us. It, it, it's his job, not ours. Let me pray. Let me pray. Um, we're going to sing a couple of songs to, to close. So maybe... Maybe if you're leading us in those songs, you can take your place uh, on the platform. Let's, let's pray for a moment. <clears throat> Father, I, I pray for us all this morning. And Lord, I, I pray that as you live within each of us by your spirit, that you will uh, help us to grow in confidence in, in, in who we are in you, that we'll know more of your forgiveness, Lord, that we'll embrace your grace, that we might know it and that we might know you. And Father, I pray that you'll help us and give us the courage to, to, to lay down our rights, that we might lift others up and point them to you. Father, this seems so difficult, seems so counter <laughs> our world. Lord, I pray that we may be a people who show proper respect to everyone. That we might be a people who love the family of believers. We might do it well. That we might do it actively. That it wouldn't be words from our mouths, but it would be actions from our lives. That we love one another. May we be a people who fear God. 
And may we be a people who honour, wherever we can, our authorities. In Jesus' name, amen.